When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This month is brought to you by the Ghoulish Knights of Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. Without them and their decision to support the show financially, we would not be here today producing this content. If you would like to have your name shouted out on next month's theme or just simply want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to learn more. Special shout out goes to Michelle, Father Metza, Alondra, Ali, Taya, Alyssa, Allison, also known as Stormy Knight, also known as our community manager, Joel, James, Kate, Kayla, Philip, Zachary, Nashia, Frank, Vaughn, Johnny, Layla, Eric, Kelly, Daniel, C, also known as T with Knight, also known as our social media and marketing manager. David, also known as Knightley, Carrie, Anna, Drew, also known as Silent Knight, Patrick, uh, Willow, Jessica, Chantal, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, and Freddie. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Don't forget your nightlight and enjoy the show. Take this. You need it as you traverse through scenes of inexplicable horrors. But don't worry, there's a couple of brave knights to assist you ghouls in the afterlife. Your tour guides, Prince and Freddy, will ensure you don't leave with any missing limbs, demonically possessed, stalked by a masked killer, or devoured by cannibals. So, hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelop you as we welcome you Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm Prince, also known as Head Knight. And I'm Freddy, also known as Nighty Knight. And this is Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. Now, keeping things going with this month... Which has been absolutely incredible, by the way. This has actually been a lot of fun. But this is our reboot month, also known as, was this necessary? Was it really? (laughs) And one that we're going to talk about today is probably the one that really fits the category. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Like you said, it's it's been an incredible month so far. A lot of cool discussions, a lot of cool topics. I'm so excited to talk about this movie, though. Me too. It'll be cool. Me too. I'm very excited to chat about this movie. I think this movie is a flick that a lot of people give bad rap. And by the way, everybody, the film that we are going to be discussing is none other than A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. First and foremost, Freddie, thoughts? 
uh okay this movie's not for me <laughs> i guess that's uh that's my probably big not thing. for a lot of people <laughs> yeah i mean obviously you guys know on the podcast we like to celebrate movies so i do have some nice things to say about this movie as well oh yeah there's there's a, a really cool sequel or not sequel sequence in here that i really 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 like right there are some really good moments too first off casting they did a cool job with the cast. Cast is I great. I do like the group of people that they chose. Uh, the, all of the actors, I've seen them in other projects as well. So it was kind of cool to look at this movie because, again, uh, I guess I haven't talked about it yet, but this is my first time watching this movie. Mm. And, of course, it's kind of hard to not compare it to the original. Uh, they do have some homages to some of the scenes here in this movie. Whereas, like, okay, even what they're wearing is, like, an homage. Uh, there's a couple sequences, yeah. like, in the hallway. It's kind of, like, trying to recreate some iconic scenes from the first movie. Doesn't work uh, as well, it's hard to not see them as the first-time watch as well, because you've seen this before and done better, unfortunately. Yeah. But this movie does create some aspect of the suspense. I do like the third act more than the first two acts. I agree. It, it, it's it's interesting. I wish, like, uh, we discussed it a little bit via text. I wish they did do stuff a little bit more practical because you were saying, watch out for the CG. <laughs> and yeah, it takes away a little bit of the impact, I would say, because it does rough. not age well. But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I'm not movie. mad that I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. It just it, didn't work for me. Yeah. yeah. I, I will admit that I actually personally like the plot result of everyone being like kind of against this one dude who sexually abused children and they killed this guy and now he's kind of hunting them in their dreams trying to force them to remember i personally like that i think that that is a really really modern concept for a horror film i just wish they would have flushed it out a little bit more and (laughs) had the ability to have us kind of feel that forsakenment a little bit longer instead of us being there for like 30 seconds and be like oh my god he wanted us to see this and now it's like boom now we're in freddy's world again and stuff like that so it's just like i wish we would have lived in that a little bit longer just kind right. of lingered in that just a little bit longer i think that would have been really really cool but we didn't yeah. and that's okay that you know this is where uh samuel uh bayer i believe is how you pronounce his name is what he wanted to do this was his first and only film that he's ever recorded or directed uh he directs music videos and he still does he still directs music videos and i've seen a few of them um i'm sure you have as well because he actually has a long list of music videos that he's directed so it's uh you know take that for what you want that's not to say that music video directors can't direct film and stuff like that it's not to say that jonathan glazer started off directing music videos so you know, take it for what you want. But for this particular movie, I do have a, I guess just alongside with everybody else, kind of with this film, I feel like uh, I do have a bit of a, just a gripe in general with this movie. And it has nothing to do with the fact that it's a remake. I want to nip that right in the bud right now. I think a nightmare on Elm street deserves another shot to be remade in my opinion. And I, I love the original nightmare on Elm street. It is dated as all hell. And like, I, if you were to show someone just getting into film, 
or something like that, A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, they probably wouldn't like it because it is cheesy. And I I feel like a lot of people wouldn't understand that who is kind of just starting off. Like, you really have to be a fan of this shit to really, like, you know, enjoy it. With that being said, I do think that this movie does deserve another chance to be made, another remake of some kind. I I don't think this was something that shouldn't have happened. I just think this shouldn't have ha- happened this way. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> if that makes yeah, it's sense. It's been 13, 14 years. We'll bring yeah, it back. I think it's time. I think it's time. I, yeah. I feel like because of this take. movie, we haven't gotten another one, so... Uh, take it for right. what you want. It did make a lot of money, though. It was very. It was a hit in in the box office. So made a shit ton of money. <laughs> Go ahead and jump into this, so we can really break this down the way we really, really want to. A Nightmare on Elm Street, 2010, directed by Samuel Bayer, released April 30th, 2010, with a runtime of one hour and 37 minutes and a budget of $35 million, which that is a quite the budget, um, a box office of $117.7 million. So they, yeah, they definitely, definitely had back. a nice little come up. And a rating of 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. God damn. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say I agree with that score, but I did also give it a, a one and a half on Letterboxd. So take that for what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it two stars, yeah. yeah. You uh, gave it two yeah. stars? Oh, generous. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. Not for me. Someone yeah. likes it. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. I haven't met someone that really likes this movie. But I find myself every like five years so far trying to give this movie another chance. I watched this recently again in 2020, and I was like, no, this movie's still not good. But it, it's aspects of it that that have grown on me since then. I will admit that. Yeah. And we'll talk about those. But we open to a montage of children playing blocks burning and scratched out photos of other children fade to Springwood Diner on a stormy night. Dean Russell is sitting at his table alone asking the waitress for more coffee. She ignores him as she continues to robotically walk in the back of the diner. Do you have something, Freddie? Yeah, real quick. I texted you almost immediately when I started watching this movie. (laughs) The first thing I had a problem with this movie was the opening credits. The opening credits, and I, I don't want to shit talk this movie, but it pissed me off. Why? Can, 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 you, can you expand on that? Yes. The specifics is, it's kind of cool. It's very grungy. Like, I like the color grading. I like, like you know, it's creepy, right? You see little kids playing, there's blocks, and then you see the right. preschool. What pissed me off is that they had, like, a really cool way to introduce everyone's name, and then they overlapped, they it, overlapped with it with, text, with, the, text. with the same text. <laughs> and I'm just like... Why are you showing everyone twice? Like, you're, you're just keep one of them. It's like, if that yep. one is like the actual just normal text, cool, right. generic, still works. But you have a cool form factor where you see their names appear like on the playground. And, like, yeah, that's it's like cool. on the chalk and stuff like have that. that. It's like written yeah, chalk. Like, do that. And yeah. I'm just like, why, why, why are you doing this? <laughs> you're hurting yourself thing, immediately. The only reason I can assume why they would do something like that is for accessibility purposes, like for people sure. who okay. can't, Fair enough. you know, read. That's the only other thing a lot I can more think crisp, of. More clear. Yeah. Right. Fair but there enough. were a lot of shit in this movie that was extremely like, illegible like it was like something like for example the sign to the school was really really hard to read even when she wiped the snow off i thought it was the letter n yeah. and it was the letter m 
And I was just like, this was extremely hard to read. So, and it looked like something else was underneath that, but you couldn't really see it. So, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I had a feeling yes. that that was what got you. Also, that <laughs> opening was very long. Like the, the yeah. open uh, credits was extremely long. It was like, I think it was a minute, like 40 seconds or something like that. And I was like, God damn, this is this is closing credits yeah. length. Like, this is long. This is taking a while for us to just start the movie. So a nice chunk of this movie, that 37 minutes, this movie's actually like maybe a minute 30. Uh, if that, like maybe even a minute 28. So, you know, if you're going to take the open credits mm-hmm. and the uh, end credits. Anyway, he calls her a bitch before getting up, calling to <laughs> anyone being there as he notices how empty it is. He continues walking into the kitchen, opening the creaking, swinging door, spotting the waitress. He continues to call out to her, but she keeps walking. He tiredly passes up a large blazing fire on the stove that's cooking raw animal carcasses. They really liked the dial up of the fire. That must have been Michael Bay. Like, we yeah. need more fire. At this moment, (laughs) they really wanted to dial this up. He doesn't understand what he's looking at as his vision blurs, turning around. When he hears the door opening up behind him, Freddy Krueger appears behind him, exposing his claw. Dean doesn't notice him as he continues walking toward the the door. Freddy rapidly rubs his knives together, which was like his like like his thing. That was like his calling (laughs) card in this movie. Like he like loved to like rub his fingers and even when he would like talk to people like it was a nervous tick or something almost like it was really really interesting disappearing when dean turns around when he looks at the door nobody is there as it swings open and closed turning back to freddy slicing at his hand he's jolted awake by nancy calling out to him letting him know that he'll be kicked out if he continues falling asleep in there he apologizes claiming that it won't happen again she takes the food away but he he keeps the steak knife noticing uh his hand bleeding from a gash uh he got inside of his dream he looks back at the clock at being 11:17 p.m. it is bumping up in this diner at eleven <laughs> seventeen p.m., almost every stall is filled with people. <laughs> right, yeah, that's like true. it is like everyone is here. This is the hangout spot in Springwood, Ohio. <laughs> oh, small town living. Just everyone goes to the diner, no matter what time at night. No matter what time at night, it's just the diner's open twenty four hours. So you can eat steak. Have it extremely rare if you want to. There you go. Chris rushes into the diner to escape the rain. Nancy allows her to sit wherever she wants, but she's there to meet Dean. She points out where he is, and she meets up with him. He weakly greets her. She's shocked, commenting about how he looks. He answers for uh, for her about not sleeping in three days. So, fun fact about this. Kellen Lutz, the dude who played Dean, he actually didn't sleep for about two days before he had to shoot this so it could feel a little bit more authentic. So apparently they didn't have to put that much makeup on him because he was actually already like fucked up. He was just super just tired and (laughs) taking naps in between scene in between shots and shit. Like it was it was intense. (laughs) I was called talking about dedication right there. It's like, man, you couldn't just like act sleepy. Like you didn't you <laughs> Right. Or just like just don't sleep the night before. Why two days? You know, putting yourself into yeah, a lot of Two stuff. days, apparently. Apparently like, two days. Another thing that's sleeping in this movie is the script. I'm just kidding. Okay. Oh uh, <laughs> But I do like when we get introduced to Chris and her character. 
I do like we get this red herring because they make her the main character. And then we'll talk about Yeah, just like just like the original from 1984. Yeah, which is cool. Love that aspect. Always works when done correctly. I kind of forgot that Nancy was the main character in the original movie. And then we I heard her name like midway through this movie. It's like, oh, you you're her. Gotcha. <laughs> and then right. we start following that character. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Right on. Yeah. I, I do like that as well. Although it's for me, it's a little bit of a double-edged thing because I would have loved for them to just do their own thing and do their own story instead of rehashing like pretty much maybe 80% of the 1984 right. version and then 20% of their their own stuff. It just, to, to me, like I get it, like that is the point of a remake. You're remaking the same thing over, so I get that. I just would have loved this to just be more of a reboot, I think, instead of a remake, where we would have had the opportunity to see an entirely new story, have it still be modern, just like it is now, and an entirely new story. I would have loved it to be, for me personally, I would have loved it to have been maybe the parents or something, or maybe the the folks Mm. who escaped in Dream Warriors were parents and their kids were inherited whatever happened to them when they were in the mental asylum pretty much like i think I, that would have been cool to me I, I i just would have loved something more like that but yeah i don't know there's there's some cool concepts out there that a lot of folks are yeah. kind of doing and stuff like that a lot of people are voting for the duffer brothers to go ahead and make them make a new one just in, just because of stranger things 4 was very <laughs> similar enough. to you oh, know yeah. dream warriors and such I personally, I would love like Anthony Scott Burns, who did come true. I think he would be so mm. sick at this. David Bruckner would be great as well yes. at something like this. I also think Mike Flanagan would obviously fucking destroy this. He would he would make this thing his bitch. Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> yeah, really character pieces, the trauma the kids went through. Yeah, it would it would everything. be fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like he would probably even have the glove. He would probably have it like mold to his hand and it got like melted and it's stuck and it's like soldered onto his hand or some shit, just so he can have some hand trauma in there. She notices his hand, <laughs> wanting to know uh, what's going on. Meanwhile, three friends, Quentin, Jesse, and Paxton, who we never see again, are eating and chatting. Jesse calls out to Quentin. Why name him? Jesse calls out to uh, Quentin to look out uh, and that his girlfriend is coming. She questions if they need anything else, but they're all s- sort of ignoring her. Quentin ponders as he looks over at Jesse. He shakes his head at Quentin, so he asks for the check. Being an asshole, Jesse chuckles if there is anything else uh, that he would like to ask her. She looks over at Quentin before handing him the check. He watches her walk before pointing pointing out Chris sitting with Dean. He wonders why they are together before si- before sighing and smashing the money on the table. By the way, this isn't Quentin who's doing this. This is uh, Jesse who's doing this. Because so we find out very soon that she was his uh ex-girlfriend uh getting up so they can leave nancy goes back to back up to quentin who's still at the table wondering what what that is what excuse me wondering what that was all about he explains that jesse is pissed because chris broke up with him she didn't realize that they were together before spotting the mess that they made in the amount of money that he left which i assume was just not enough money he apologizes (laughs) wondering if if she ever gets tired of working there every weekend jesse calls out uh, to him to come on quentin apologizes to her again before leaving her a ten dollar bill all right so we get a little bit of context about nancy 
being the oddball out. So like she's right. not necessarily friends with these people. She just knows them because they go to the same school. So and that's pretty much it. That's all that's pretty much it in the beginning. Yeah. Which, that's, that's enough. Yeah, I feel like it's established well enough. Yeah. It makes it a little weird for other th- other things like Jesse going to her house. Like sure. that that was weird where I was just like, what? I thought so you guys I didn't really, really like you, why do I... each other. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I was just like, who the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Get out of my house. Chris thinks that Dean should possibly talk to someone, but he has. The therapist thinking that all of his problems come from his past. They went through his childhood and that's when the nightmare started. She doesn't understand. Thinking that he can't sleep, but he can. He just doesn't want to. She tells him to listen to him, trying to convince him that they aren't real. He slams his mug on the table, spilling his coffee on her on accident. He apologizes as she gets up to clean herself up. While she's going to clean herself up, he spins the, the knife on the table, rubbing his face and closing his eyes, falling back asleep to Freddy immediately grabbing him and forcing the knife toward his throat. He calls out that Freddy isn't real as he responds that he is now. Chris comes back, wanting them to stop w- what he's doing as he stands with his eyes closed, holding the knife in one hand and blocking it with the other. She pleads for him to stop, but he stabs himself in the throat, slicing it open. She screams for him straight to the title card. Awesome. I like this setup. You know, I like, like this kill. I, I love this kill. I, I like this setup. I think this setup was great. I think this was a... a I wouldn't necessarily consider it a cold, cold open just because we had the cast in the beginning, but I think this sure. was a great setup. I, I thought, you know, it was mysterious enough. We got introduced to all our characters in a matter of five minutes. And I like that. I like that we weren't having too many introductions of new characters coming up later and stuff like that, um, besides right. their parents. So I, I did enjoy I, this this setup. I like it and I don't like it. I feel like there's a lot of things that happen in this first opening sequence where, like you said, it feels very long. Too it does. much, maybe. Also... There's not a lot of tension building. Things just happen really quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't think the movie lets uh, the scenes breathe. What I would have loved and would have looked really awesome is that right when the knife goes into his neck, he lets go, and then the knife still drags across his neck. So then mm-hmm. Chris starts talking about it, and then mm-hmm. be like, oh yeah, I don't believe you. Like, Don't worry, everything's not real, and stuff like that, because they don't believe her. Obviously, it's like, we'll make it look like someone else was there for sure. Right. But they kind of Instead of him holding the knife still or something like that. Yeah, no, that would be so cool if it just went in. He drops his hands and he's still like standing up with the knife holding him up and it just Mm. slides across his neck. I'm like, oh, that would have been cool. Sure. That's okay. Still a cool kill scene. Yeah. No, I I get that. Yeah, that makes total sense. Absolutely. I mean, I, I personally think that. For what they were trying to do, I think it was pretty okay. One thing I do have to admit is that we didn't get a lot of creative kills. They were very, very generic. Yeah. It it didn't feel like, you know, Dream Freddy doing the wacky kills, like putting someone's head into a TV (laughs) and all this other stuff. Even though we get lines from that, like it says, welcome to primetime, bitch, and all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I would... Would have loved to have him be not as wacky as Robert England because I think Robert England he made that character and I'm I'm glad that what's his name Earl Haley mm-hmm. I'm glad he didn't go that route I'm glad he just kind of Jackie Earl Haley I'm glad he he didn't uh, try to emulate 
Robert England too much, even though most of his lines were lines that Robert England has said before. I just would have loved for them to bring that creativity aspect in there instead of them just going to a boiler room and, you know, him like putting his knives on a a fucking pipe and then he sparks, makes sparks. And it was just like, okay. (laughs) Why is it sparking that much? Like, Jesus Christ, how hard are you pushing down? Cut to Dean's funeral. While when the priest is praying, Chris notices her younger self in a blue dress, throwing a bouquet of flowers into the grave. She looks around to see if anyone else uh, sees this as she looks back up to the girl uh, have four slashes on her chest. Her feet is gr- is grabbed, which startles Chris awake. Everyone gets up and starts to leave once the prayer is done. I also thought it was kind of funny what her mom said. She's like, come on, honey, it's done now. And I'm just like, damn. <laughs> okay, thank you. This is one of my biggest gripes in this movie. It's like, first off, why are you sleeping during the funeral? <laughs> Yo. Messed up. In the you front, too. This. In the front. Yeah. And then the mom was just like, oh, it's over now. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> like it was a fucking again, movie. The other grave, they like didn't I even said, drop like the, the casket half, into the grave yet. Like they, the casket's yeah. still like there. The first half is a little rough for me, to be honest. Especially like rewatching the oh, this, now. The first uh, two like, acts ah. is like, you are trucking along, man. It right. is again, very hard to get through. No, no suspense. No tension building. Just a things happen. A lot of jump scares. And it's like, a okay. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I should have counted, but there's a lot of jump scares in this movie. Quentin and his dad, Alan, go over, who I assume is the principal of their school, but that was kind of a little, it was like principal or counselor. I couldn't really tell. Quentin and his dad, Alan, go over to Nancy and her mother, Gwen. He lets Nancy know that if she needs anyone to speak to, he's there, which also I thought was pretty interesting because I'm just like, I'm not the one who witnessed him die like i you know i I saw him probably dead but i didn't witness it like you should be saying this to chris not me she claims that she's fine as he uh, reminds her where his office is they should say their goodbyes and they're off chris goes up to to the photos of dean spotting that spotting a photo of herself and dean when they are kids jesse startles her as he questions her knowing dean that far back she doesn't understand how she's in that picture not knowing that she didn't meet him until high school he takes her away. She shares that Dean said, quote, quote, unquote, you're not real repeatedly before he died. He gets frustrated as he sighs. She wonders if he knows what that means. They stop. He doesn't. Trying to rationalize that Dean was on a bunch of meds, she stops him and knowing that it was like someone that they couldn't see was doing this to him. He looks at her like she's crazy. He tries to rationalize this for her too. But Nancy comes up to them claiming that she believes her <laughs> out of nowhere. It's like, okay. Chris questions her belief. She's about to explain what she saw, but Jesse stops her, arguing that she wasn't there, but Chris was, suggesting that she's already fucked up, wanting her to leave Chris alone. He takes her away as Nancy's mother comes up to her, rubbing her back. She says that that he has no idea what she's seen while tears are starting to form. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Rooney Mara... To me, this is definitely not her best performance. Definitely seen her in better roles. I would, I, I, I feel like I expected a little bit of something else because I remember right after this, I think she did the girl with the dragon tattoo, and I was so uh, not looking forward yeah. to that movie because of because this. Of this. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Uh, it's also interesting. I always 
not that it's a big gripe, but it's always one of those tropes while watching horror films. It's like, oh, we're following a bunch of like high school teens, and they're like mid twenties, like thirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like no, there was, was like, like ah, there I don't was... want to look up her age, but I'm gonna look her up, and I was like, oh yeah, like she's in her mid twenties in this movie. I'm like, ah, yeah. it's like, oh, it's just... and the, it's she was fine. supposed to be born in 1992, so she was supposed to be yeah. kind of like around our current age, or not our current age, excuse me, our age at that time. Yeah, but it was also interesting that you bring that up because we have that one line from Quentin where he says that he's been on these meds since he was 15. It's like, well, how old are you now? How old are you supposed to be now? Like, you yeah, make it 18. seem like that's years ago. Like, was yeah. it last year? Like, <laughs> like that was that was a very weird context to have, knowing that they're supposed to be high school students. <laughs> I assume they're supposed to be seniors in high school, and maybe right, so he's maybe 18. 18. Not the most, oh, yeah. I don't know, who knows. Later that night, Nancy is listening to music in bed and drinking some water. She dr- starts to drift to sleep as there's terribly CG Freddy comes out of the wall, startling her awake. Cut to Chris sitting at her dining room table, looking at old photos of herself as a child, some of them missing from an album. Her mother, Nora, watches her from the doorframe. She greets her mom before asking about the missing photos. Nora chuckles that they're p- probably packed away in the garage, wanting to know why. She shares the photos she saw with- about her and Dean, when they were younger, but she only remembers meeting Dean when they were in high school. Nora brushes it off about nobody remembering when they were five years old, requesting her to pack those up before dinner, uh, before dinner, since it's almost ready. Chris is lying in bed, Nora walking across the hall, telling her goodnight before turning out the light. She gets up and heads to the garage. Inside there, she decides to go inside the attic, ensuring that that she grabs a flashlight, she heads inside. Looking around for old boxes with the years 1996 and 1997 written on them. She opens up one of the boxes, finding a picture of her with a doll in the slash dress. The lights cut off above. She grabs the flashlight, looking around while shaking. Freddy appears right in front of her, startling her so badly that she falls down on the floorboard. He questions if she remembers him. Chris wakes up screaming, Nora rushing in there to check on her. Damn, she got in there so fast, but she had time to grab that rope. Like... <laughs> <laughs> She was like still fixing the robe while she was in there. Got the Springwood High School. Go ahead. I was I'm gonna sorry. say uh, real quick to bring up the point. Like this, is how I feel like no tensions build. Things just happen really quickly. Uh, it's just like beat for beat too fast. They don't let it like marinate a little bit with the scares, even with the jump scares. And then they also give us like plot information but plot information in a dream. So it's like, mm-hmm. do us as a viewer just throw that away? Or was there really a dress in there that was ripped up? We don't really get really context with that. That's we true. get like a scratch back later on, but it's like, that dress has no play into the movie anymore. I, I don't want to talk shit about this movie too much, but <laughs> the one plot point that really got me was like, when she asked her mom, who's clearly hiding these photos, she's yeah. all like, yeah, they're in the attic. And then they're like dead center right there, right in front. <laughs> And then the lighting's not really well done, too, because it's, like, it's nighttime, but there's, like, daylight coming through the window, and it's perfectly lit. And she's using a flashlight that barely helps because it's really a lit room, and then she puts on the light, and it's, like, it's, like, small things. And that flashlight was hella dim, too. Yeah. That was, like, a dim-ass flashlight. And I was hoping, like, oh, maybe they're going to make us, as the viewer, have an un 
reliable storyteller. We won't know what's real and what's fake, so it puts us in the in the the viewer seat of the characters. They never do that. They just no. do this one time. Yeah, but sure. I mean, I guess yeah. they do it a couple times, but you can tell that it's a dream because it starts right. going in and out they don't from like fake two different out. places. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cut to Springwood High School. <laughs> Nancy is at her locker looking at some art. Quentin comes up to her, wondering what that is. She acts like it's nothing. He wonders if she's okay. She answers that she is, wondering the same for him. He claims that he is, brushing it off, stumbling over his words to be the person that, that she can talk to if she ever needs to. She thanks him before Alan interrupts them for him to go back to class before he's late. Did he not, like, like her or something? Like, I feel like Alan, like, had, like, reservations about Nancy, Nancy or something. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it seemed like he didn't like her at all. Like, it was just like, hmm, I don't want my kid hanging yeah. out with this, this fucking weirdo. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, for real. But I guess it's the things like, oh, if they start talking to each other, they might start remembering. I think it's more covering his ass a little bit more like, sure, don't talk to the like, people you were associated with it in preschool, I guess. I guess so. But if, if, if that's the case, what about Jesse? His and other Chris? friends? Yeah. They actually like dated. And right. he also hangs out with Jesse, you know? So it's just yeah. like they all technically went to school together. So yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Whatever. While in class, Chris is doodling while the teacher is lecturing about Spartans and their torturing methods. Cool little callback to obviously 1984 right here. He instructs them all to open up to page 84. They all do so. Chris flicks through the book to all of the images of torture before landing on Freddy's glove, which was kind of cool. I, 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 would, yeah. I would love like cool that piece inside of my, inside of my house. He instructs him, or excuse me, she starts to breathe heavily, whispering to herself to wake up. The class is moving in slow motion before disappearing into ash. Freddie is standing at the chalkboard, ta- taunting her. I thought this was a cool little fun CG trick here. Everyone just like bursting into ash around her. I thought that was pretty fun. Something different, which is cool. Yeah, definitely something different. It felt it felt very dreamlike too. So like I, you know, it felt it was a cool little effect. She runs away into another classroom just to meet up with him there. He sickly compliments her as she questions who he is. He claims that she has nothing to worry about as a, he approaches her with his knives, saying that, quote, this won't hurt one little bit, end quote. Stretching out the knives with his fingers causing her to wake up and scream. She ends up back in class where all her peers are staring at her. The teacher questions if she's okay as Jesse mouths what happened from her, from across the room. She apologizes as a strand of hair lay inside of her book. The, the bell rings and she slams her book running out of the classroom. Uh, cut to her driving back home on Elm Street just in case you didn't know what the name of this movie it was that you were watching. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Why? Why? Like, it's just, I don't know. Is this? And this wasn't even like really a nightmare on Elm Street. They kind of had the nightmares everywhere. Uh, she pulls <laughs> up into her driveway, grabbing her 100% empty backpack, locking her car. She spots her dog Rufus lying outside in front of the door in her mom's home, but like she didn't bring the dog inside. Right. So weird. Was, it's interesting. I it's guess like it felt like they just gave us this moment. To, to say, like, tell oh, us she that has she dog. has a dog. <laughs> like, That's it. That's literally it. 
<laughs> she, she doesn't understand what he's doing out there, letting him back inside the house. Chris goes inside the garage, working up the courage to open up the attic. Nora startles her, letting her know that she has to fly to London on a red eye. She sees her mom out, Nora wanting her to know if she's going to be okay. Chris claims that she will be. Hmm. You know, jinx yourself. As this, as they kiss goodbye, <laughs> she closes the door, not locking it. As she watches her mom get inside her car, she at least arms the house alarm system, though. Because why not lock the door too? Just like I get it, you know, like you get live in this nice ass neighborhood, and this dude is pretty much technically attacking you in your dream, so it doesn't really matter. But still, you never know. You never know. While she's in her room, she's trying to stay away as she's looking at Dean's obituary. Her floorboard creaks as she goes to s- shut her window. Jesse's stupid ass hits her window as she, as she closes it, and he's like not laughing or anything. It's almost as if he's upset. Like, right? Like, what the fuck? It's just a weird moment of characters. <laughs> just like they're just interacting with each other with no emotion. Yeah, zero chemistry here. <laughs> yeah. Upset, she wonders what uh, what he is doing out there as he wants to be let inside. And the way he even asks, like, well, are you going to let me inside? No. Just like, that, like, sure, come in. <laughs> he admits to being an asshole, and you're still being one, commenting that <laughs> Dean was his friend too, wanting to know what's going, what's been going on. She shares that she's having nightmares and she's scared, thinking that Dean was also having them too. He sits next to her, about to convince her, but she stops him, knowing what he's already going to say. She explains that every time she dreams, she always sees a man. She describes his skin being burned and melted, and he's always trying to attack her with these. He finishes her sentences, or her sentence, sandwiches, knives on his finger. who's cutting sandwiches um she's shocked but understands that they are having the same dream she gets up crying as he comments about that not being possible he hugs her tightly shushing her she's afraid and she's afraid and all she wants to do is sleep but she's worried that freddie will uh come and kill her Nah, Freddy's nice. He won't do that. Good fear. It's a good fear. Good, good fear to have. Good fear to have. Jesse thinks that they should stop talking about it. That might be the way to the way for them to not dream about it. He looks at Chris. She wants him to stay with her. He agrees to do so. Let's unpack. Kind of find out. He he he's telling the truth. It's like, hey, if we don't talk about him or we is? don't think about him, that's how they've survived until now. Which I do like that they answered that question. It's like. Why is this happening now? It's because they're starting to remember him, giving him power to come into their lives again. Like, all right, cool. It's like, if you forgot about him and don't remember what he did, he has no power, which is a good correlation to mental health and trauma, which is, okay, cool. Now we have some, like, substance out of this movie deeper than just your run-of-the-mill slasher, which is cool. Love it. Right on. Cool. Shout out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, even to kind of bring that up too, like it also it also makes me think of like what kind of message are they also trying to send here, as well. Like like obviously <laughs> sure. they're they're trying to they're trying to make a horror film, but like not every horror film needs to have a message either. I'm not saying that it's just like they're obviously adding other things inside of here that have to deal with right. aspects of like almost some type of PSA that they're trying to develop, but that does come off pretty muddled certain way in certain um aspects because of the of how they've been fucking feeding this to us how they've been showing yeah, us yeah. this movie so 
because they randomly talk a little bit about like mom mentality. Is this the right thing to do? It's like, oh no, you're you were right. That was the right thing to do. <laughs> Which yeah. is kind of funny. The ending is like, oh, never mind. Yeah, no, right on. <laughs> Pretty so, much. Yeah. I mean, I love how they or I didn't love. Uh, we'll get there actually. Cut to them sleeping yeah. with each other. Chris wakes up by hearing her dog um barking outside. She goes outside in her backyard sporting a nightgown version of Glenn and Tatum's number 10 jersey which amazing, Mm -hmm. like gotta love it. Happy that they brought that back. At least she calls out uh, for her dog. And by the way, for those who don't know the name, Glenn, 1984, Nightmare on Elm Street, Tatum, Scream, 1996. She calls out uh, for her dog as she's, she's starting to become more nervous and cautious. They go back inside, but she continues searching for Rufus stuttering with fear, eventually finding him slashed and dead on the ground. Damn. Freddy appearing that in the darkness with his bloody fingers, she runs back inside the house screaming for help. I like his line, I was just petting him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. Like, don't touch the dog, though. It's just a dream. <laughs> it's just doing just fine, probably, in the movie itself. Probably. For all we know, she probably doesn't even have a dog. Like, you know, they, they don't even establish that. She probably doesn't even have a dog. So, like, you know, how do we know what's real and what's not? She ends up back at her old preschool, startled by kids running in the darkness down the hall. She goes down the hall to her younger self, who grabs her hand that they have to hide. Freddy's nursery rhyme is sang by girls playing jump rope. He starts counting as her younger self takes her directly to him. He ends his hide-and-seek countdown, running towards her. But Chris wakes up, dripping with sweat and breathing heavily in her room. She looks over at Jesse, who's asleep next to her. She tries to wake him up. He just moves over, and she decides to go to the bathroom instead. Looking at herself in the mirror, the sweat is uh, miraculously gone. She throws water on her face, putting the sweat back, before looking back at herself in the mirror. She heads back to bed, where Jesse is still asleep. Sighing a relieving sigh, she sits on the side of the bed. Lying back down to Freddie, lying next to her, ha- saying, found you, and getting on top of her. She starts screaming, convulsing as Jesse wakes up, trying to yell for her to wake up and stop. <sighs> she continues to violently convulse before being thrown in the air and slammed against the ceiling. He yells for her to wake up before she's slashed right down the middle of her chest. Jesse checks on her before getting the getting the fuck out of there with her blood all over him. What did you think of this girl? Elements I liked are the levitation. I would say that's always a cool feature to look at. I feel like the editing was a little too much where they just edit her hitting the walls multiple times. I think a few times would have been more effective. The amount of times they did it made it feel a little bit silly. It make it made it feel like it it didn't hurt. Like when they were doing right. it, like it I was like, that doesn't even look like it hurts. You know, like that looks like that looks yeah. like it'll be fine. <laughs> but then the slash happens and that was cool. Like the reveal of it, like pulling down, blood revealing, and then just dropping her. It's like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do find it interesting that like this slash kills them instantaneously. You know, like, <laughs> fair enough. I thought yeah. that was interesting because one of our mains, he gets slashed towards the end of the movie and he's like completely fine. And he's later. able to make it to a fucking ambulance yeah. and still oh, fight yeah. Freddy. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
He runs straight out of the front door, sounding off the alarm, but he doesn't stop running. Hiding behind a tree, a man yells at him and that he's going to call the cops. Cut to Nancy sketching at home. Her mom comes into her room, reminding her that she needs to go to sleep. She claims that she will, as, as she continues sketching, Jesse grabs her, shushing her that it is him. He yells for her to stop and listen to him, looking at the blood, and she wonders what happened to him. This dude is over here in her house, where he shouldn't be <laughs> right. yelling at her. Yeah, covered in blood. Yeah. And it's just like, what, what the fuck is happening? It's like, I don't care. I know you. We don't even talk that much. You're in my house. You're covered in blood. Fuck that. I'm getting my mom. I'm calling the cops. I'm not letting this conversation happen. But she's like, no, nah, okay. It's like, I'm scared of you, but I'll still hear you out. <laughs> <laughs> Only because you asked. <laughs> yeah. Wanting to know what uh, whose blood it is, he explains that he was with Chris and he didn't do anything to her. All right. <laughs> she wants to know what happened to Chris then. He answers that someone killed her in her sleep. She plays it off as if she doesn't understand what he's talking about. He knows that she knows that someone is trying to kill them in their dreams. And this is interesting that she even tries to play this off because she was pretty, pretty open Adamant about it. Yeah. yeah. In, in at the funeral for like, sure. You know what I'm talking about? And then now it's her time. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> what do you mean? What? What are you talking about? Weird. She cracks that she keeps hearing the song. He wonders what song. She starts to sing it. He repeats his name, telling her that he's in on all of their heads. Mm-hmm. That he is. She cries on that being impossible, but nothing but wanting to believe it. Or not wanting to believe it. Excuse me. Gwen knocks on the door. He moves away from Nancy, telling her that they need to figure out a way to stop this. Not wanting her to fall asleep, because if she dies in her dreams, she dies for real. Rules of the movie, perfect. Just in case you didn't know. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm curious. I want to hear, like, people who have never seen or this was their first introduction to Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I would love to hear from them, you know? Yeah. Because I feel like they would have a very interesting take on all of this. Do you think they would, like, I, I don't know. It makes me even think, like, would they even like this movie? You know, I don't know. Uh... Yeah, it's hard to tell. The cops surround him outside yelling for Jesse uh, to get down as he claims that he didn't do anything. They slam him on the ground as he yells that he loved her and he didn't kill her. Yeah, that's what they all say, Chubb. Handcuffing him and pulling him and forcing him into the cruiser. Nancy and her mother come out to watch him get taken away. He yells that she knows who did it as she's being held by her mother. Cut to Jesse being brought to his cell phone. The inmate hops off the bunk and snatches the bottom one. The bottom one. Meanwhile, Nancy calls Quentin. She tells him that Chris is dead, or I guess, yeah, she tells him that. So mm-hmm. Jesse is slapping himself in the face to stay awake while tapping his feet. The inmate yells for him to be quiet as he continues to slap himself in the back of the head. <laughs> the inmate it's was trying cool to moment. sleep, bro. This one? Oh, oh, the bottom back. Yeah, him's like freaking out and showing that he's so scared that he, he really does not want to sleep. That's always kind of cool. Yeah, I do like that aspect quite a bit of them trying to fight the sleep. Yeah. The next day, Quentin is at the library looking up effects of sleep deprivation. He starts to fall asleep as his computer does the same. A little girl standing down the hall, he notices that her as she giggles. 
going to, to an area that was without people, just the voice of Freddy counting down and whispering. He goes inside of his room with a bunch of children, holding their hands over their eyes in front of Freddy. Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> I actually really like this sequence. This is one of my favorite sequences of this movie. Just because of the film work, was there is a long take of him going down the bookshelves and it starts vibrating and kind of curving to him. I love that. I think it was like a cool camera trick or a technique that they added in after post-production, but it looked cool. It looked really awesome, and it looked very, like, centered. He was the main focus on the camera, going down the aisles, and then relieve, uh, and then it kind of gets, for me, a little bit ruined with Freddy's reveal, because, again, mm. I feel like they don't build tension. Things just like, I'm here. <laughs> you just walked up to me, but they don't build the tension. <laughs> Of it, but his dream sequence to that point, I thought it was phenomenal. That was a cool point. I agree. Yeah. He wakes up to Nancy tapping on his shoulder, questioning his nightmares, wondering if it is Freddy. Back with Jesse being let out with the, by the cop, claiming that he was bailed out. He leaves out of the cell, noticing that the cop isn't following him. When he turns around, he is surrounded by a wall. Lights cut off as he as it transports him to the boiler room. Chris calls out for for help as he walks down the steps inside the building. Children are giggling and, and watching him as he continues walking. Finally, Freddy is right behind him, using his claws to create a very large spark on the metal. <laughs> yes. The first one, I was like, oh shit, those are sharp. The Once he started doing like the second, third, and fourth time, I was like, oh yeah. god damn, dude, okay, I, I get it, it's sharp. <laughs> I get it, I get it. Enough slices. You, Bay. I know that was your idea. <laughs> I feel like it is. That feels like a Michael Bay thing. Jesse makes a run for it until he comes across Chris's body being hung up. Freddie is right behind him. Jesse wants wants to know what he wants from from him. Freddie questions if he can turn back time while pointing the knife and scissoring it in his face. He continues his question about bringing the dead back to life. Jesse yells no as he continu- as he starts screaming and dropping to the floor. Freddy chuckles about him screaming even though he hasn't been cut yet. He disappears and Jesse looks around for a moment before Jesse st- uh, stabs right through his chest. The inmate is watching in horror in the corner of the cell, yelling that he didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a pretty good kill. Not too bad. That was okay. But what Freddy says next is one of my favorite lines in this movie. What do you say? I don't know if it's true. When he's still hanging upside down and he's talking to him in the dream world, where he's like, did you know the the human brain stays awake for seven minutes after dying? Uh, That means that's been a minute. We have like six minutes left to play together or something like that. I don't know if that's even real. But that's horrifying. It's like, you're already killed. You're dead. Yet, your brain is still active, aka you can still be in the dream world, being tortured by him for six more minutes before you finally go to rest. That's that's terrifying. That's a good moment. I agree. Yeah. And it's it also kind of... It kind of goes on some of that tension that you keep bringing up. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it does have a little bit of that just based off of, like, his predicament and stuff. So... yeah. Like that you said that. Banging on the door for them to uh, get out of there. Meanwhile, Jesse is strung upside down as Freddy shares a fact about the heart stopping to beat, but the brain still functioning 
for seven more minutes. Laughing that they have mm-hmm. six more minutes to play, he lets out a scream. <sighs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I agree. I think that is one of the best scenes. I think you're right. Definitely think you're right on that. Um, not the best scenes, but great line. <laughs> well, yeah, great line. Yeah, it's no, a cool I guess moment. You're right. It's a cool moment. It's, sure. it's, it's a cool iconic. Moment. Yeah, I think you're right. Not the best scene, but yeah, it, it is. A, it is a cool moment. Yeah. Cuts to Nancy and Quentin inside the bookstore. He questions if she's okay. She claims to be exhausted. He pulls out some Zonarol, uh, which I guess is like pretty much like Adderall. Yeah. So. For her to take, he explains that it's it is ADD medicine that he's been on since he was fifteen. She's good. He rebuts that she's running on fumes, bro. She says she's good. She notices his cross on medallion on his necklace. She comments about about not taking him as a religious type. Well, while he covers up his necklace, he claims that you have to believe in something. She picks up one of the books hmm. about the Pied Piper of Hamlin, wondering what what it is uh, doing with the stack. He explains that he saw it in one of his dreams, and it was a story about a guy who's betrayed by a town, and acting his revenge by taking all of the children. Mm. Nancy admits that she keeps dreaming about children and a school. Quentin thinks that it should mean something. Quentin thinks that it should mean something, but she doesn't understand what what that is since they started going to school together in the sixth grade. He grabs another book, claiming that they're running out of time as he reads, quote, Nightmares are triggered by the belief that the dreamer has no control and this can cause insomnia. At the 70-hour mark, the insomniac will begin to experience micro-naps. His brain will shut down its functions for seconds in an attempt to recharge, end quote. It basically meaning that that you'll be dreaming even though you are awake. Quote, after that, your brain will shut down, inducing a coma. End quote. What he points out as permanent sleep. Yeah, terrifying. I mean, it is. Cut to Gwen coming home later that night, calling for Nancy as she places her things down inside the living room. Nancy is upstairs in her room sketching. Her mom knocks on her door I don't know who was sketching this shit. They weren't that good. Like they were making it seem like she was this amazing sketch artist. And I was just like, this isn't, this is just kind of fine. <laughs> I went to art school though. So like maybe, maybe that might be like the art snob in me. You know what Prince art is subjective. Okay. Yeah, it is until it's, until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> She allows her to come in. They greet each other. Gwen wondering where she has been. Nancy answers that she was at the bookstore. Her mom was worried since she didn't know where she was. And with everything that was happening with her friends, Nancy wonders if she shares a connection with Christine, Jesse, and Quentin. I like that she cuts her mom off like, yeah, 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 whatever. Do you know these people? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what's what's the connection here? It's like, don't go to the attic. That's where all the more answers are. (laughs) Well, that wasn't Nancy's place, though, right? No, I'm just saying, like, that's what uh, mom's in general. It's like, don't look in the drawers. You won't find a secret folder here. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like or this box of money. all your old stuff. Come on. Yeah. It's like, why do you, okay, you're trying to keep a secret. Why are you keeping the secrets around? You know, but true. Okay. True. Yeah, burn that shit. Thinking they uh, they could have possibly gone to school together, Gwen slowly shakes her head that she doesn't think so. Nancy wonders if she knew a man named Freddy. Obviously lying, she claims that mm. she, she doesn't think so before that being enough for Nancy. She walks to the door, telling her daughter goodnight before leaving out of her room. 
Gwen rushes to the house phone, calling someone to let them know. And Nancy is starting to remember. Meanwhile, Nancy goes to take a bath, grabbing her phone to set an alarm for herself. She immediately uh, dozes off inside of the tub. Freddy's glove comes out of the water toward her, going away when Gwen knocks on the door, asking if she's okay. She wakes up, telling her mom that she's fine before her, her mom says she's going to bed now. All right. Now, we definitely get it. We get another uh, scene of her pretty much. Uh, that's very, very similar to our other Nancy, right? Our actual Nancy. Right. Super cool. Super fast, though. It is fast. Yeah, like, she's, like, out of the tub right after that. She gets yeah. out of the tub, wiping her face before opening the door to, to her room. Also, who takes naps on purpose inside the bathtub? That seems very the dangerous. The most dangerous thing you could do, yeah. Like, I, I know people who have fallen asleep on accident in a bathtub, but she, like, intentionally wanted to nap. Like that is not that's not safe, not safe at all. And if you're if you feel like you're in danger and you're hearing all about these dreams, you're taking a cold shower. You ain't taking no bath. For real, yeah. Like I'm not trying to relax. I'm trying to stay awake. Like fuck that. <laughs> she gets out of the tub, wiping her face before opening the door to her room. It's snowing inside of her room. She's confused as she cool. looks around her room, walking slowly on the snow until she ends up outside of Batam Preschool. She wipes the snow off the sign, continuing to walk toward the building. Freddy comes up behind her, commenting about her being all grown up now. She calls out that he's just a nightmare. He agrees, no one being able to prove that he was ever there. She questions who he is. He chuckles about her not remembering, thinking that she, she must. She trembles in fear as he takes his claws, calling her his number one. Ugh. His little Nancy. Jesus Christ. Licking her face as she winces, telling him that she set an alarm. He knows, claiming that if if it was in her dream before commenting about her smelling different. This is definitely a scene I would have wished lingered. A little bit more because this scene is so good to me. Yeah, this is the tension. Yeah. yeah. And I just wish it was a little bit longer, just a tad bit, just something to just kind of wrap that up instead of her just jolting back awake immediately after this very, like, I don't know, like, I feel like he was going to give her more information, if that makes sense. Right. No, uh, it definitely does. It's like the first matchup right you're meeting the person that you see everyone talking about and you may have seen it too and this is the first time you're communicating with this entity or this evil force and it's gross it's icky it makes you feel disgusting especially with the revelation of knowing that everything that's happened is true yeah and the way he's talking to her it's sickening yeah but effective like you said it is a very effective scene Sure. Right. Now, one thing we didn't mention that this was your first time watching this movie. Yeah. You've never seen this before. No. Okay. Was is this the first? No. Okay. Because you watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot or remake. Mm -hmm. Did watch that? Have you seen Friday Friday Thirteenth from two thousand and nine? Um. No. I want to say yes, but if I were to watch it again, it would probably feel like the first time doing it because I don't okay. remember anything from it. In but my opinion, the, well, that yeah. had better kills in it than this did. 
Okay. We got so, a really cool like bed kill scene in that movie, and we also had a really cool um sleeping bag one, right? No, this wasn't in, this didn't have the sleeping bag, I don't think. There was a dock though where he stabs someone on the like she's trying to hide underneath the this this deck on in the lake. He stabs mm-hmm. in the lake right on her head, and to get his machete off, he like pulls her up and just like slowly pulls her <laughs> head off of it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like in my opinion, Friday the Thirteenth had some great kills. The remake, I mean, Friday the Thirteenth has some fun kills in general. Yeah, last year I saw the whole entire franchise for the first time. Yeah, but cool. you haven't finished the whole franchise of Nightmare on Elm Street yet. No. That's Maybe next, right? One and two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because you've seen two last year. And New Nightmare, technically. Yeah. Right. I've yeah. seen one, two, New Nightmare, and now this one. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I'm excited for you to finish that, too. Yeah. Me, too. She jolts awake from her phone ringing. It's Quentin telling her that Jesse's dead and that Freddy got to him. She tells him that, she's, that she saw Freddy. That's a, that's a good enough excuse for him to head on over to her place. He quickly makes a note for his dad about to take another pill, realizing that he's almost out, drinking it up with a Red Bull before heading out. In Nancy's place, he's researching Badham's, finding that it is a, it was a preschool that was shut down years ago. They can't find any pictures. She takes him uh, to a picture that she drew of the school after she woke up. He claims that he's never seen it before, not knowing how Freddy is connected to the school. She doesn't know, but she does know that her mom is hiding something from her. Cut to them looking at Nancy's mom's files. They don't find anything immediately, Nancy noticing that the drawer doesn't close all the way. They take the drawer out, and she finds a file with uh, with a picture of them all as children. He grabs a photo, calling out that they're all there. She snatches it back, looking at the photo as Gwen comes into the room, asking, what are they doing? (laughs) Busted. (laughs) She kneels next to Nancy, demanding her to give her the pictures back. Nancy doesn't understand, since Gwen said that they didn't know each other. Confused as to why they would would all be in this picture to, to a school that they went to together. Gwen softly demands for the photos again, telling her that it's okay. Through gritted teeth, Nancy wants to know why she lied to her. They both argue about who's living and who's not until Gwen yells about her not wanting to go through through life with a certain memory, wanting her to forget. Nancy doesn't understand, wanting to know what happened at the school. Would you have told your kid? Like, it's uh, a very traumatizing thing, but, like, would right. you have told them? I think... Like, I feel like this is a during, really hard question. It is. I, I feel like there is something that... Obviously, I'm more curious about how they were able to handle it while they were still kids. Were they able to go through... Like, they just, like, brush it under the rug and try to make them forget, or they actually went through the proper steps of maybe looking out for help, going through therapy, making sure, you know, their development is as normal as possible. Obviously, there is always going to be a sense of trauma in there. Mm-hmm. I do not like that they kind of want to make them forget, which, of course, that as a protective parent, that's probably what you would want to do. But is that the healthiest thing to do as well? Mm. Like I said, I'm always all about like the mental health aspect of things. So it's really sure. weird. Of like, ah, did it take the right steps to actually really protect their kids so they can have somewhat of a normal life or anything close to it or did they just literally try to like 
brainwash our kids to like, nope, never happened. We're going to hide all the history of their preschool. It's going to, I don't know, but I'm more curious. It's going to turn out great. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, this won't haunt us in the past, uh, nope. in the future, I mean, but yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit. Well, it's like, would I do the same for my kid? And I think I wouldn't. I think, you know, especially at that age, I think yeah, I would I feel like you they know, have a right to know. Right, exactly. It's like they're young adults. They can they probably won't be able to handle it correctly, but still old enough to understand why. Yeah. Or under yeah, understand like, you know, this since this terrible thing that happened in their past. It's like the right to know. I don't know if that's like the healthiest thing either. You know, like maybe it might be healthier for them to discover that on their own, which I guess it's what they're kind of doing, but yeah. They move into the photo, showing the scene play out as a cameraman tells them all to smile. Gwen explains that Freddy Krueger worked at, at the preschool. He's behind the cameraman making bunny ears trying to get the children to laugh. He was a gardener who lived in the basement of the preschool, and the kids were, were his life. I thought this was an interesting backstory, but it reminded me a lot of that Simpsons Treehouse of Terror episode when Willie was like kind of the, the Freddy Krueger of the yeah. their world. It's like kind of like they took that bit and they were just like, let's turn that into a movie. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I don't know if that's ever established that Freddy Krueger was a gardener. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. that was established in, the, in so. the series, but I could be wrong about that. But I don't remember if that was ever something that was established. Anyway, they established it here. Montage to him playing with the children on the yard, which is already kind of weird. She continues that they didn't want to believe it at first since they were all innocent, adding that Nancy was his favorite. He goes up to her as she's drawing a picture, acting interested as he claims that he has other drawings that she could possibly help him fix. She smirks. Gwen continues that they started to notice things. Chris's mom is inspecting Chris's back that she has four huge scratches on her back. Alan is on the phone admitting to Quentin acting a little strange lately as well. Nancy tells her mom what Freddy does, taking them to a secret cave before she starts to cry. Quentin wonders if they should call the police. She answers that he skipped out of town, but he's gone and can't hurt them anymore. Considering that these dreams are repressed memories from a terrible time, Nancy hopes that she's right. Don't we all? Cut to Cara and Quentin getting into the car. She wants to find the other kids in the picture. He doesn't want to, but she doesn't think that this makes any sense. He thinks her mom is right, and these are fucked up memories that they're experiencing. She questions how he knows that, since memories don't kill you. She starts backing up the car. Alan pulls behind them, honking and waving for Quentin to get out of the car. Like I said, I don't think he likes her, man. He grabs his stuff so he can go. Nancy stops him because they need to stop to take a message from our sponsors. And we're back. Instead, Nancy stops him because they need to do something about this. He shouts for her to stop finding this crazy, telling her to listen to herself. He apologizes before getting out of the car and going into his dad's car. Quentin is at swimming practice. His coach telling him to wake up and focus. He nods his head. They begin the drill. Meanwhile, Nancy is in computer class, I think. I don't know. I, it looked like some <laughs> interesting like classroom where they got to use laptop computers. 
we'll say computer class for the sake of this, I guess, looking at the photos before choosing a kid to look up, starting with Lisa Harper, finding that she died in her sleep. Next up, Brent Transer, also killed in a crash. Back to Quentin doing another set for practice. While he's swimming, he stops for a moment before being pulled under the water. When he comes back out of the water, he uh, he's outside in the boiler factory. He swims out to the ground, hearing tires screeching as Freddy is running from a car. And he's like, booking it. Dude oh, is yeah. like, full on sprint mode. shit. It's like, you think you're an athlete, you little swimmer? Look at me, I'm a marathon runner. <laughs> um, I will say, though, he has probably the best entrance into the dream world. And just being underwater and submerging completely out of somewhere else. So I was like, that, that was a cool moment. I agree. I thought that was really cool, too. That That's a fun little effect. Yeah, nice little transition. Yeah. And I like why he's dreaming right now, too. Because he's not dreaming because he's tired. He's dreaming because he got knocked out. Or because yeah, because he inhaled too much water, so he kind of cut yeah. to a dream. Because or I guess of like that. his body just gave up on him, and then he started drowning, knocked himself out into the right. real world. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Did that all that swimming? Did that remind you of your swimming days? Absolutely. That would have never happened to me. I would have finished with record time. <laughs> <laughs> what a chump! Oh man, you you didn't just do water polo, right? You actually you actually did swim um, as well. Yeah, it was funny. I grew up very much following the footsteps of my sister. She mm. did swimming first, then we joined the same swim team when we were teenagers, and then yeah, start of high school, water polo and the swimming team, or just mostly water polo. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, awesome. What was your uh, what was your stroke? Or like for swimming? Um, yeah, Back? butterfly. Butterfly, oh, butterfly, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> One of the harder ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really love to do it. I mean, breaststroke is easy. I like it because it's, you move faster. You move faster. Um, freestyle, it's kind of like the stroke, stroke, strokes, breeze. So, like, I still remember how to, like, do it properly. It's like every three strokes, pop up for air. So, you, like, alternate sides every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I still love to swim. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. When I can. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not the greatest swimmer, but... I, I've always found that to be fascinating. And this scene just made me think of you because I knew I knew you used to swim. So I was just like, oh, Freddie. It's like, oh, I remember the Speedo days. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Speedo Freddie, we need pictures. Oh, he covers no, himself no. as he's shivering, yelling for Freddie, uh, uh, yelling for Freddie to wait as multiple cars chase after him. And he has no idea who this dude is. And he's just like thinking like, wait, hold on. They're going to kill this fucking guy. He runs inside the abandoned building as the cars stop locking himself inside as Alan yells for him to come out. The rest of the parents get out of the car with weapons and pipes banging on the door for him to open up. Freddy cries that he didn't do anything, not knowing what they think he possibly did. Okay. Alan tells others uh, to make sure that he can't get get out of the back, while Freddy continues holding the door handle, screaming for them to stop as Alan continues shouldering the door. He uh, he waits a moment before trying to figure out uh, his next escape. The uh, parents grab a gasoline can, Gwen finding this to be wrong, wanting to call the police instead. Jesse's dad questions that this is the right way, saying a scenario about their kids taking the stand to tell a room of people what happened. I mean, maybe, yeah. I feel like that would probably be better. 
<laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, like if I found out that somebody was molesting my kid, I probably would have a very similar re- reaction. I would be ready to go to fucking jail. Like yeah. in that moment, yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree. Alan thinks he's right as he takes the top, the as he takes the top off the can, wanting this to end tonight. This ends tonight. Halloween <laughs> ends. I know. I literally <laughs> reminded me of that scene. Freddie runs like the back mob mentality. Exactly. Yes, that's what really reminded me of it. I was just like, did David Gordon Green just <laughs> try to copy tonight. this ter- terrible movie? <laughs> Freddie runs back to the door, cracking it up. Sorry, I don't mean to call this movie terrible. It's terrible to me and terrible to you. But like you said, there's probably someone out there who's like, oh man, <laughs> shit, no yeah, movie. I like it. Moments. It does have its moments. It does have, does have cast, its moments. Like I said too. Freddie runs back to the door, cracking it open and, sl- and slamming it shut when he sees them approaching. Alan and the others light the gasoline can with a rag inside the nozzle. He chucks it into the building in proclamation of his son, For my son! Freddie screams his pa- in pain as the- his body catches on fire and the building explodes with the can inside of it. They all wait for a moment until Freddie runs out of the building screaming with anger as he r- rushes toward Quentin. He wakes up from his coach giving him CPR. He takes a breath as his teammates huddle around him. The coach asking if he's okay before he starts retching and coughing again. Has this ever happened to you? Like while <laughs> you were swimming? No. Yeah. No? Okay. <laughs> no, I've never drowned. Thank God. I feel like I feel like they happen so often in movies that they right. make it seem like every fucking per- it like it's like a time. it's like no, a it rite of passage. It does not. <laughs> like a rite of passage for swimmers. Like you need to drown at least once and come back from it. And come back. You have You're to at least have swimmer. died for a few minutes. <laughs> nah, this never happens. And I'll even say like water polo, everyone looks like they're drowning. Because I've, what goes yeah, on seen under the water, anymore. it's fucking wild. Yeah, the they like violence. scratch you and shit. And I'm like, fuck that game. Yeah. I'm not playing that. I would never condone violence, but we... I'm not going to say we, never mind. Uh, I heard people do this. They would break little pieces off the landline, which is like those little plastic things that go yeah, all the way across those lines. And they, they would, would break the you? little plastic pieces off and just like stab people underwater and stuff. And people would like what grab your f- your junk and like make you scream. And like, yeah, it's crazy. Why? It's not that part that I don't miss. Serious, I just like swimming. Y'all. That's it. Yeah, yeah. See, like, I'm just like, damn, it's not that serious. <laughs> like Kathleen, yeah. my wife, she used to tell me, that like people wouldn't like cut their toenails and stuff so they can scratch you under the yeah, water too. 100%. It's like that is too much. Come on, man. Yeah. Fucking America and their goddamn water sports. So like whatever the rats can't see. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, yeah. That would be hilarious if there was like a scuba diver ref like underwater <laughs> watching. <laughs> I see blood. Someone got stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> Got to Nancy looking up Marcus Yun, finding a blog of, and some videos of him. Shout out to this guy. I wonder what he's doing lately. Like he was in like <laughs> he was like hot shit around this time. He was like in Disturbia, and he was like the yep, support yep. character. He was always the guy videotaping himself with like content. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> A video of him talking about Freddy trying to kill him, his videos getting more and more unhinged as he explains his experience. The last video of him admitting to dreaming with his eyes open, not knowing what's real anymore. He hasn't slept in three days, but if he sleeps, he dreams, and if he dreams, he's dead. Wondering if there's anybody else out there that that this is happening to. Nancy cries as she watches his uh, cries for help. 
mean, I guess his late cries for help. Who uploaded this video? Marcus slams his head <laughs> on the desk, killing the feed from the video and presumably killing himself. She's startled by Quentin grabbing her shoulder. She cries that they're all dead. Like, why do we need two jump scares here? Literally yeah. seconds from each other. We had one jump scare from Marcus slamming his face down, and then another jump scare from Quentin touching her shoulder. Why did we need two? Just like, it's like ah, this guy scared me. Ah, you scared me. <laughs> yeah, it was like, like, it was like I, I don't even know if I could take this serious, but uh. yeah. he admitted knowing what happened to Freddie. They bust into his dad's office, accusing him for killing Freddie, just out of fucking, just like, dude. His dad's like, hey, yo, chill. Like, <laughs> like, let me close the door first, and then let's have a proper conversation here. He closes the door, wondering where Quentin heard heard that name from. He yells that they chased, cornered, and burned him to death. Alan rebuts that they did not hunt him. They were protecting them. Quentin doesn't understand from what, as Alan answers, it was from him and what he did to them. From what they told them, Quentin argues that they were five and would have said anything. Okay, but why? You know, like, what would yeah. be the point of that? What would be the point of a five-year-old saying that? And multiple five-year-olds. Exactly. probably don't even barely understand the concept of what was happening to them. Right. They like, wouldn't be able just... to describe it if they weren't, sadly, in that predicament. Right. And, you know, like, it, it's just like, why, why would ch- children that age lie about, uh, right. uh, well... My daughter lies, but like, why she'll lie because she doesn't want to get in trouble for anything. Right. I didn't eat the last chip. That type of lie. You know, what was the point of these kids going up to their parents and, and saying this? Like, what was that going to do? Like, why why lie about that? Did they hate him? Did they hate the gardener? Is that instead of love the gardener as the story was once told? So like this, this is where <laughs> things, this is where I, what I didn't like. I didn't like that they immediately didn't believe themselves. Like yeah. we usually get the, the opposite where it's the other person who doesn't believe that that person who, uh, that the experience happened to, but they didn't believe themselves. Like, no, I don't believe I said that. There's no way I would have said that. I was five. Why? Well, yeah. what? Like the other way around. It's like, Oh, you never, you never believed me when I told you about this. It's like, no, they believed you. And like, ah, oh, I can't believe you believed me because of this. Like, what? Right. It, it just, yeah. to me, this didn't, this didn't make Thanks. any sense to me. It yeah. just didn't make any Especially sense. Especially for me. this character who's so involved in like searching everything up, fully involved in like, oh yeah, I do believe it. I do see these things. He definitely right. seems like a bad guy. Like, yeah. But I guess that's Freddy's manipulation uh, for his character arc. He's like, here, let me show you a vision of what they did to me feel bad for me pretty much and then to like torture him at the end to like no it is real and that was his game all along and it's like eh, okay <laughs> yeah mm. not understanding why they didn't go to the police protecting freddie as he claims that his accusations from his five-year-old self were false wondering if they ever found the cave alan answers that they didn't quentin questions how did they know he was guilty thinking that they killed an innocent man. Alan admits that there isn't a day that goes by that he doesn't think about that night. His son thinks that he at least deserves that. He knows that Quentin will understand when he has children of his own someday. He grabs him, but Quentin snatches away, not wanting him to be touched by his father. Leaving Nancy there, he sits on the edge of his desk, telling her to listen to him. 
telling her that Freddy never existed if it concerns anyone else. She bolts out of the room calling for Quentin. That was also weird, too. It was just like, like, okay. And I, I assume it was the fact that, like, he probably didn't have any family and stuff like that, and this was this this mm-hmm. unsolved murder of some kind or whatever. Who knows? She catches up to him walking down the hall. He bangs on a locker. He's like, like, dude. <laughs> Damn what? it. Uh, Why are you so my stupid dad? Stupid, stupid dad. Why'd you do my that? Dad, my stupid dad <laughs> killed somebody to protect me. What the fuck, dad? Man, he must love me a lot. Fuck that guy. <laughs> what? The, like, I just didn't understand why he was so... Like, he was very, very upset. <laughs> uh, I'm upset when people said, like, I would kill for you. That's disgusting. Why would you do such a thing? <laughs> How dare you show your unli- uh, undivided love? How dare you? What, what would have made this story a lot more interesting instead of them trying to figure out what happened to Freddy Krueger or whatever if they would have went to the police on their parents that would have made a way more interesting story instead of this and then we could have had this concept of their parents maybe going to jail or something like that and their parents no longer physically being there to protect them from Freddy like I feel like that would have been uh, if they wanted to go this route because them finding this out like Okay, who cares? You know, <laughs> yeah, like it's just exactly. like, like she calls out to him as he angrily answers her. She grabs onto him. He violently turns around, upset that they were the reason of a man's death, thinking that they were lying. She wonders if they could make it stop, wanting to go to to the preschool like Marcus said. He agrees, and they are walking out, but Nancy stops when, when her name is called down the hall. She looks down the hallway to Chris being dragged down the hall in a bloody body bag, which just looked like paint. She stands up <laughs> mockingly asking Nancy if she wants to hang out before Freddie is laughing through her and her mouth is pulling out with blood. I did like that, we'll admit. I did like her having that, that laugh with the blood pulling out of her mouth, but I wish it wasn't Freddie's laugh. I wish it was just her laughing. Her laugh. Sure. I think that would have been a little bit more effective. Quentin goes up to her wondering what she's doing. She explains that she just saw Chris inside of her body bag. He understands that she uh, has been up for too long and she's having micro naps. They shoot out to the preschool. She's like, okay, we need to get there as quick as possible before we fall asleep on the road and die. Uh, cuts to them driving in, in uh parking right in front of a pharmacy. Like, not even a parking like spot, just right in front. Okay. Yeah. It's so cool that the diners a bumping business during this time of night. But you <laughs> know, this fucking pharmacy. Any CVS or pharmacy that they go into, you know, it's just like actually no, yeah. shout out. There is a line to get to the pharmacist. Pharmacist. Yeah. So. She doesn't understand what they're doing there. Quentin gets out of the car needing more pills. He goes inside as she waits outside in the car. She checks her phone. A knock on the window grabs her attention. Freddie opens the door and throws her out of the car, which jolts her awake, trying to catch her breath. That was that was a fun one. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was just fun, quick, and snappy. That was fun. Quentin asks the pharmacist for a refill of his pills. He tells Quentin that he's out of refills and he's going to need to call the doctor on this, but he doesn't have time for all of that. Nancy is trying to trying her best to stay awake, taking her jacket off and spotting the cigarette burner. She slaps her face and pushes it to heat up. Meanwhile, Quentin continues to argue with the pharmacist about how long he's been on the pills, wanting him to go back to fill it up, but the doctor is not having it. The cigarette burner comes out and she takes it to her skin, wincing from the branding sensation. She gets out of the car and, and heads and 
outside of the store, calling for Quentin, who's still poorly trying to convince the pharmacist <laughs> to fill up his fill up his pills. She realizes that something is off inside the store as the song sings the lyrics, quote, Whenever I want you, all I have to do is dream. End quote. The lights flickers as the surrounding area shifts into a boiler and Freddy appears walking toward her. He grabs her by the neck. She grabs onto a sweater, ripping a piece of it as she falls to the ground. She crawls backwards away from him as he laughs. In and out of the real world, he slices at her and her blood spits on the product on the shelf. He yells for her to wake up and, and that she's bleeding. <laughs> She screams awake, her arm gashed from Freddy's knives. Quentin runs over to her and checks on her as she realizes that she ripped a piece of his sweater off. He picks her up so he can take her to the hospital. This was kind of interesting, but it also was kind of funny because of the fact that she burned herself with this thing mm-hmm. for pretty much no reason. <laughs> she, she still started dreaming inside of the hair. I know. But it's cool because it shows like the desperation that they're gonna go through to like yeah, that's stay true. awake. But that's true. That makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah it serves that. no purpose though. Yeah. It's like, Good. Hey. <laughs> um, I do like how Quentin like baseball slides over to her in this very dramatic fashion. <laughs> what a hero! Yeah, Captain shout out Kyle Gallner. Got a shout out to him for sure. I I do have to give him a big props though for being in two Wes Craven reboots. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Not a lot of people That's can really say true. that. So, it cuts to Quentin waiting outside in the waiting room for Nancy as uh, she's being strapped with IV. Gwen goes into the room wondering who did this to her. She tells her mom to look look at her wound, knowing that she knows who, who did this to her. How would she know? Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, like hey, has he a just... gardener. Who the fuck did he, did he have something to cut you with? Like shears? Like, how did he know about the glove? Nothing. Yeah. The, the glove definitely was. Where did the glove like... come from? They don't even. Oh, never mind. Yeah. No. And it's still there. Like, the pieces of it is still there. Like, it's not even complete. It's just still yeah. in the, his cave or whatever the fuck. Quentin looks through the drug drawer, finding an EpiPen and pocketing it in his sleeve. The doctor comes into the room, putting on gloves, wondering how Nancy is doing. She shares that she's going to give her a little something for the pain, it putting her to sleep. Nancy pleads for her mom to not allow her to get that injection. The doctor maniacally tells her that this might sting as as her hand shifts into Freddy's glove. She starts to scream no, wanting to know where Quentin is. The doctor grabs Gwen to speak with her in the hallway. She tells Gwen that Nancy needs to be sedated. But she can't do that without her authorization. Gwen just wants her to be out of pain. The doctor hands over the parental consent form. She quickly reads it over, the doctor claiming that she'll be fine. Gwen signs off the consent, handing it back to her. When they go back, and the doctor's just like, all right, let's go. She's ready. She's just like, all right, we're going to hold her ass down now. (laughs) When they go back inside the room, Nancy is already gone. (laughs) She comes in, "Nap, nap time, bitch. For real. She was just like, oh, man. Oh, where's she going? I thought it was interesting, too, that, like, her mom was so kind of, like, callous when it came to this kind of stuff. Yeah. And her mom is technically a doctor. At least that's how they have her name. I don't know what she's a doctor of, but they have her name as Dr. Gwen, whatever the fuck their last name is. But (laughs) I was just like, okay. Like, Interesting. Her and Quentin, I wonder what she's a doctor for. Maybe a psychologist? I don't know. Who knows? She's doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Her and 
Quentin got the fuck out of there, stopping the car at a, in front of a gas station. He takes out the adrenaline that he stole. She doesn't think he should take it since he doesn't know what will happen to him. But that's the least of his worries right now. Asking her if she would like some, she tells him no. He stabs it into his leg, getting a slight burst of energy. She asks uh, if he's okay. He claims that he is and that they are back on the road. While they are driving, she wonders how much further. He states that they are almost there. How far is this fucking place? Like, so <laughs> I, preschool to drop did, off your kids at? Huh? Yeah, like, did they live in a different town and then they all moved together to Elm Street, which the movie's named after, but has nothing to do with the movie itself? Yeah. No, only one person lives on Elm Street, and that was Chris. <laughs> that was the only person that lived on Elm Street. I guess maybe, maybe Nancy lives on Elm Street because we do see Jesse run to her house. So maybe Nancy sure. lives on Elm Street. She does have the same address too as Nancy from 1984. So maybe, cool. who knows? She wants him to talk to her because she's starting to fall asleep. He questions her and not coming out to any of his invitations. And I skipped the part of asking about the color. It was stupid. She claims that she doesn't uh, really fit in. (laughs) He tells her that he'll take her out on a real date if they survive the next 24 hours. She smirks, wondering what happens if she says no. He jokes for her to sleep on it before Freddy appears in the middle of the road, causing them to swerve off the road, driving into marshy waters. They get out of the car. He swears that he saw him as as he points the light down the road, then hit his ass. The fuck? It's like, oh, this guy still seems like an innocent dude. Let's go discover how nice he is. Hit him. Like, I swear I would have saw him. Then why didn't you hit him? Fuck, dude. Like, (laughs) shit. They keep moving as Freddy laughs at them. They eventually make it to the school, which I assume was just right down the street at this point. They break in, looking around for a moment. Quentin looks in one direction and back at Nancy getting slashed by Freddy. He yells out no, back to reality. She questions if he's okay. He shakes his head that he doesn't know what's real anymore. She tells him to follow her as they head toward the maintenance room. They head into the basement, looking around the room for a bit. She lights an old lantern that just so happens to have fluid in it still. He (laughs) wonders what they're supposed to do now because he doesn't remember any of this. She looks around, finding Freddy's bed, thinking that he brought them there for a reason. His knives are on the table as Quentin picks them up. She goes around a corner seeing all of the pictures tacked on the corkboard, one of them blowing from a wind tunnel. She calls for Quentin. He comes over to see what she's looking at. She tells him that there's something back there. He hands her the flashlight so he can try to move the board out of the way. He yanks it off the wall, finding another small sliding door. He pulls it out of the way. They hop inside another room. Nancy remembers that she's been there before. A flashback to Freddy telling her that he'll take her to the special place if she can keep a secret. She looks around at all the pictures with her name on it. Another flashback with him and her playing with paint on the wall. Quentin Mm. finds a shoebox. He opens it on the ground, finding Polaroids inside. My whole thing is, what the fuck was the staff doing? Because if you're missing a child (laughs) in preschool... You would notice. You should notice. Like, if anything, the negligence of this preschool also needs... That's probably why it was shut down, because this preschool was just fucking negligent towards these children anyway nancy fully remembers at this point dropping the flashlight on the ground due to the to her flood of memories brain blast she looks back at quentin looking at the pictures in disgust she wonders what he's looking at he explains that they're all of her 
She wants to see them. He, uh, he won't let her. She snatches them from him, looking at the pictures uh, as she begins to sob, screaming no. We got a quick glimpse of the photos. It definitely did look like it was a child with their shirt off. So I really hope they didn't just take pictures of this kid with their yeah. shirt. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of like, because the way he's looking at it and how heartbroken he looks, uh, he has great facial reactions to the photos and looking very sad and distraught. And you get like small glimpses of it of just like just skin. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I don't like you don't have to show us anything. Just like his facial reaction says it all. We know what the what it yeah, is. Yeah, I was I was very happy that we didn't have to necessarily yeah. see this. Like I I didn't need right. I didn't need that. Um and I'm happy we didn't have it. Um, the the whole ploy with a child molester that's enough. <laughs> That's enough. Exactly. We don't need him. To, like, we don't need right, to see. Tell the us how to kill his ass now. We can exactly. just jump right into that. Let's go. Yeah. He knows that they were wrong and that he's after them because they told the truth. She understands that Freddie brought them there so they could remember what he did to them. And I love that Quentin was like sitting underneath a clown mask as if he is a clown for thinking that this was going his way. <laughs> and he was just like, oh shit, he actually did fucking touch us. <laughs> I yelled at my dad for no reason. He knows that he's never going to stop wanting to know what he wants from him. She pulls out a piece of the cloth from her pocket, telling him th- to, to come on because she knows what to do. Cut to them sitting on fucking Freddy's bed. Ew. Nancy not wanting to just sit there and do nothing, knowing what will happen if they do. Quentin thinks that he should be the one to do this, but she, since she's the one that pulled the sweater out, thinking that she might be the only one to bring him out. Hmm. Maybe. I don't think you're that special though, Nancy. I'm not gonna lie. He doesn't want her to sleep knowing that she won't wake up, but she knows that he won't allow that, wanting him to wake up if he sees her struggling. He takes off his necklace, putting it around her neck, restating that she, you have to believe in something. They share a kiss. He pumps her up <laughs> that he'll be there when she gets up and that they're going to make it. She lies down on the bed. <laughs> he grabs a lantern and searches for something, finding a rusty paper cutter. He yanks the cutter off the board as a weapon, heading back over to take watch over Nancy as she sleeps. She turns over and goes straight to sleep. But so does Quentin. Like, literally right I don't after know how she he goes that. to sleep. Yeah. Like, he goes to sleep immediately. And then he wakes up inside the factory. Walking around until he's pulled by Freddy, slamming his face into a pole, he yells that Quentin can't save her, then tag, you're it. He slices at his chest, throwing him on the ground. Nancy calls out to him. He goes to meet up with her. I will also admit, I know some people had like gripes about Jackie Earl Haley playing Freddy. I didn't mind. I just think he didn't have great lines to deliver. Right. I think he worked with what he got because he exactly. is a phenomenal actor. Um, oh my I god! He made, remember he was him in fu- like he was Rorschach like literally two years before. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That that's the role I always think of him playing, and just the depth that he was able to bring that character. I'm like, no, he yeah. he's got acting chops. Yeah, he just didn't he knows get what the fuck he's doing. He I just think what yeah. was written for him was just like, okay, right. so you literally want me to restate restate. Every single line from Robert England, just darker. Like, okay, all right. If that's what you want, I guess that's what I'll deliver. Whatever, <laughs> like, no, it's no, no, it's you're a page. nothing like that old character. You're a new version of him. <laughs> you're, you're not funny. You're not. You're not, you're not funny. We need you dark. You're and, just and, like and a regular 
creepy guy. Also, you're a pedo. It's like, oh. It's like, <laughs> she looks around for him. He appears right in front of her, taunting her, forcing her to look at her uh, dead friends hanging on the pipes. She calls out that this isn't real. He brings her back, claiming that it is real and that he is real. She pushes him away, ending up back inside of her house. She looks around for a moment as Freddy walks down the stairs. She tries for the door, but it doesn't have a handle. Then she hides inside the closet. He walks past her and then quickly walks toward the closet. She holds her breath before looking back through the cracks. She doesn't see him. He says, boo, right next to her inside the closet. She then screams. Running out of the closet, she runs up the stairs, the floor in the hallway uh, turning into sticky, thick blood. I really kind of wish I was to see this script because I really want to <laughs> see how this was written because what's happening sure. on screen, it's fine. It's just like it, fe- it feels like the beats are just all over the place with this. Right. And I, I get what they're trying to do with like the thick blood scene. Like it's very similar and reminiscent to the marshmallow on the stairs scene in 1984. But yeah. Right. She runs and they up wanted the st- to like blend that scene with the Johnny Depp death scene. Yes. With the next like sequence. And it's just like, ah, I get it. It's like, it's a cool aesthetic. Obviously, it's like, look how much blood we used. Like, but it was so thick. It was like maple yeah. syrup. Like, this is very yeah. thick blood. Uh, she screams as, as she struggles in the blood, falling and drowning. The iconic, quote-unquote, how's this for a wet dream line doesn't have the same oomph in delivery, but it's there. The ceiling bulges <laughs> over Nancy's head. She falls out of the blood and onto her bed in pristine white dress. She tries to get out of the bed, but she's forced down by an unseen force. Freddy opens the door, tapping his knives on the door. She calls out for Quentin to wake her up. He grossly comments about this dress being one of his favorites, knowing that she remembers everything now and that her memories are what fuels him. She pleads for him not to as he moans and runs his blade up her thigh. She turns away, sobbing. He yells for her to look at him. He pulls her up, throwing her against the wall. She acts like she's doing something on the ground, which, okay. When he uh, pulls her back up, she stabs him in the eye with a pair of scissors. She's like, I tricked you. He acts like he's in pain for a moment before he yanks it out of his eye, knowing that she can't hurt him because she's in his world and she can't ever leave. He tosses her back on the bed without touching her. She screams as she lands. Back in the real world, Quentin is awake but fucked up from his wounds. (laughs) Freddie runs back on top of her moaning about her screams being music to his ears. Nancy screams that she wants to wake up. He admits that he kept her awake long enough so when she finally slept, she'll never wake up again. She sobs as Quentin climbs on top of her, shaking her and screaming for her to wake up. Freddy continues to taunt her and Quentin pleads for her to wake up as Freddy says that he's her boyfriend now. Once again, you know. Not the same oomph. Quentin takes out the EpiPen, and right before Freddy is about to stab her in the chest, Quentin does so first. She gasps awake, grabbing Freddy and pulling him back into the real world. She yanks the needle out of his chest, yelling for Quentin to get him. What <laughs> the fuck you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> you're up too shit you get him he grabs the paper cutter hitting him with it but uh freddie overpowers him and stabs him with the gloves supposedly he actually did get stabbed in this moment or or scratched i should uh-huh. say yeah so supposedly that actually was real 
throws him on the wall and is about to approach him again, but Nancy comes up and stabs him repeatedly with the needle. He throws her on the ground, about to stab her, but she blocks it with the board. Quentin stabs him in the leg, gets smacked in the face for it. He's about to deliver his final blow, but his hand flies off from Nancy, cutting it off with the paper cutter. She taunts him about him being in the in her world now before slicing him in the neck. Blood spurts out of, from his neck <laughs> as he falls to the ground. Quentin coughs as he gets up, holding his wound. They are about to leave, but she tells him to wait as she throws the lantern in the space, setting it on fire. They make it out of the building, coughing and limping uh, as she holds on to him with her trauma blanket, mind you. The um, Or not yet, but it's coming up. The fire department and police are working uh, to put the fire out, one of them shouting that there aren't any bodies inside. Quentin is placed inside the ambulance as Nancy gets inside with him with her trauma blanket. They are driving to the hospital. She rubs his head, smiling that the nightmare is over. She leans her head back to rest her eyes as they continue driving. See... In this moment, they didn't have to do this next part. If they would have just ended it with the fucking ambulance turning into the colors of the sweater, just how it Mm. ends for the first one, you know, have that creativity to it. Like, this just wasn't creative. Sure. Cuts her making it back home. Gwen instructs her uh, to go straight to bed. Nancy understands that her mom was just trying to protect her, thanking her for it. Gwen places her keys down. When she comes back up, her reflection has shifted to, in the mirror to Freddy's. Nancy screams as her mom is stabbed in the face and pulled into the mirror, leaving her screaming with her mother's blood and a fixed mirror in place. Then credits. <sighs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to give this yep. one another chance. This is my third time watching this movie. I think I'm good. <laughs> anyway, I got some movie facts yeah. for us here. <laughs> movie facts. <gasps> Freddy's sweater was knitted by Judy Graham, the same woman who knitted Freddy's sweater mm. in the original Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. Cool. That's cool. When Jackie Earl Haley was asked what put him in the right mindset to play Freddy Krueger, he said, sitting in the makeup chair for three hours. After that, you feel like you could kill someone. <laughs> That's fair. Fair enough. The Freddy gloves were the most protected props on set. Previous films had issues with the gloves being stolen. Most notorious was the glove was stolen from one of the films that appeared in Evil Dead 2. Interesting. That is very true. I remember that. Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy on Nightmare on Elm Street, was offered a cameo but declined. She would have played a waitress in the opening (laughs) diner scene. I wonder why she declined. Interesting. She read the script. I'm just kidding. Oh, sorry. You might be sorry. right. No, you might be right. You might be right. <laughs> Let's do one more here and we'll go ahead and wrap this one on up. Wes Graven was signed to the sequel slash franchise rights away when making a Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984 just to get it refinanced. Had no involvement mm. with the remake and was not even aware it was being made until well into production. In a 2009 interview, he expressed his displeasure with the then unreleased film as the original was very important to him. That is fucked up, and I did not know that, and I hope that is not true. (laughs) But I guess it is true because it was a part of a 2009 interview that they don't source. But I I feel like I need to find that. That is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we want to know what you think of Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010. We can keep this conversation going on our Discord, which you can find in our show notes, or you can hit up hit us up on Instagram or Twitter. 
also inside of our show notes as well so we can get this conversation going because we would love to. But the next film that we are going to talk about is not yet chosen because our Ghoulish Nights are coming back this year with the Ghoulish Nights selects. For every month, they're going to choose our last film that we are going to cover, and they have to choose between, I believe it's Suspiria mm. versus, um, let me see if I can find my list here. I think it's Suspiria versus The Grudge. So those are our two that we are going to go against. So let's see what they have. But this was Nightlight. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Night. Alongside me, I had Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Night. With your help, we can reach more ghoulish nights with your recommendation to someone who would actually enjoy the show. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, consider us give us a five-star rating as it honestly does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? K. Okay. And remember, everybody, don't forget... Yeah.